This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Ferminger. My mission is to pull back the curtain on Vancouver's film and television industry and expose its beating heart, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom style, by getting deep and down and a little dirty with the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. It's impossible to talk about Keegan Connor Tracy and not mention magic. Magic and its cousins, the paranormal, supernatural, and the horrifying, have been interwoven into her acting roles from the beginning of her career. And the importance of magic seems to be growing. For seven seasons, she played the Blue Fairy, a literal maker of magic, on ABC's beloved fantasy series Once Upon a Time. And she's explored the nuances of magic in other roles too, on The Magicians and also on Descendants, where she plays Queen Belle of Oridon. In recent years, Keegan has been pursuing magic in other realms. In 2018, she wrote her first children's book, This is a Job for Mommy, and she also stepped behind the camera for the first time when she wrote and directed La Fille, a short film about a young girl who comes across a mysterious curio in the forest that transports her to 1920s France. La Fille is currently on the film festival circuit. Thank you very much, or merci beaucoup. (laughs) Now, Keegan and I have our own Once Upon a Time. She was the subject of the very first cover story I wrote for the Vancouver Westender newspaper all the way back in 2012. And we talked about her career journey and Once Upon a Time and also her many, many, many interests, which include bespoke fashion and literature and French and New York Times crossword puzzles and obviously mixed martial arts. Even all the way back then, Keegan embodied the idea that women contain multitudes and that you can create the kind of life you want, that magic doesn't have to be the stuff of fairy tales. So today we're going to talk about magic. We're going to pour one out for the Blue Fairy. We're going to talk about finding new sources of magic, how successes and challenges change as we move through our lives, especially as women, and what Keegan wants right now. So, Keegan Connor Tracy, welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Oh, thank you. My goodness, what a magical introduction. I, I was sitting here, I was like, wow, that woman sounds like, oh, wait a minute, that's me. <laughs> it's absolutely you. It's absolutely you. And I want, I want to talk about, let's begin with the Blue Fairy, because that's kind of our own once upon a time. Mm-hmm. And that was such a cool interview because we combined it with a like fashion shoot for Lace Embrace Atelier. So you were actually wearing like all, a, the, corsets. all the corsets and the hats from the Saucy Milner, hats Saucy Milner. And it was, and, and then we were sitting there in the, so we shot in the Marine building. Yes. Which I love like that art deco. I felt like I was in a 1920s train station and like yeah. had been left behind. It was beautiful. You had the luggage and, and everything. And then we're sitting in, in the pub. And I, for me, I had moments when we were talking uh, where I was like, I was like, one, this is totally the kind of work I want to do, talking to people like Keegan, you know, and two, like, wow, like you, you cannot judge any book, especially a woman by her cover, because, you know, there's, you contain multitudes. I mean, there's so much to you. Uh, so our, so, but one of the main things we talked about in that first conversation was magic and was the, the blue fairy. So let's let us, as I say, pour one out for the blue fairy. Um, and for once upon a time, and once gained a loyal following of fans almost immediately, like it definitely spoke to something in the zeitgeist. What do you think that was? Uh, well, you know, I have always said that I think part of the success of Once Upon a Time came from this tremendous sort of global insecurity and mm-hmm. and the sense that, you know, people are worried they can't pay their mortgage and people are worried about, you yeah. know, big things. The timing, what was it, like 20... Uh, like, well, I had just had a baby, yeah. so it must have been 2011 yeah. because she was born in late 2010. Well, that's a lot of changes in your life. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's what that time of life is, right? And yeah. to be standing, I, you know, stand, I think I've told this story before, standing in my wardrobe fitting as a blue fairy with that corset on and with like a squalling baby and going, I'm sorry, I have to feed her. Yeah. And in these incredible like stripper heels and a half of a corset yeah. and my boob out in my wardrobe fitting. Something magical about even that. 
<laughs> you know, it's one of this. Eduardo still talks about it as yeah. like sort of one of his most memorable costume fittings. We're talking and about Eduardo Castro. Eduardo Castro, yeah. the costume designer, brilliant costume designer from Once Upon a Time. Um, and so, sorry, I've sort of sidetracked off of this that. This is, no, I, I mean, I know you haven't listened to too many episodes. This is what we do. We sidetrack. <laughs> we go all over the place. So because let's... that's the beauty of podcasts, though. You know, as a listener of many stripes of them, it certainly is never a linear conversation. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's true what you're saying is this, that it, there was always a lot going on. I think when you're a woman in your, in your thirties mm. and forties, you know, children, generally speaking, and, uh, to try to meld that with a career like this. Um, but certainly that was, you know, my introduction to magic uh, it, to which I, I think will be always tied, you know, at this point between that and magicians and certainly, uh, descendants as well, even though Belle is not necessarily a practicing magician. Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. Like kind of a magical lady, I think, you know? Well, it's a very, it's a very magical kind of, it's a magical world, world you know? Yes, it's a yeah. magical, like, there's definitely magic that's, uh, that's present. Let's go back in time, though, like, to before Once Upon a Time. Like, what was your relationship with, like, the concept of, of magic? Because I would assume, I'm not an actor, but I would assume that magic's got to play a part of, like, love of performing, love of, of entertainment and film and TV. Like, do you have a, a it's long funny background? Because that's a, what I was thinking in my head as you were asking me that is I, I think prior to once upon a time, I didn't have that sense of magic, the, the, you know, I'd wave a wand magic, but magic for me, I think then it came from a more spiritual creative place. Like I can remember doing a scene in a class, uh, from dead man walking, do you remember that movie? Yeah. And there was a clock on the wall, like one of those industrial this is not, And it is not a magic movie, you no, know, like it's, it, this is no, like, it's like about the death row. Death row. Yeah. Brilliant. Wonderfully oh, performed yeah. movie. Um, and the scene with um, the Susan Sarandon character and the prisoner, and there's this clock on the wall. And it was like the, the light was coming through these blinds and everybody had these sort of stripes of light across their face. And it was dead silent in the scene because it was such this grave moment in the film and that they were doing that scene from. And there was this clock on the wall that was going like, chook, chook, chook. and I, I, I can still think of it as this magical moment where you're like, that's what we do. That's why we do what we do as actors mm-hmm. for those moments when you are so entirely present in this make believe thing. Yeah. That's magic. Um, and I think we all have those moments. Uh, if we're, if we're cognizant and if we're, you know, mindful, um, that they exist throughout life. And maybe that's also what drew people to once upon a time, like the idea that there could be magic, it is so appealing in a world that feels often bereft of that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, because on the show, it's totally a fan. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but like on the show, it's it's magic and love are are interwoven, magic yes. and relationships, right? So I might not be able to wave a wand, but I can really, I can have these, you know, really powerful relationships mm-hmm. within my family and my friendships and stuff. Like I can find the magic in in those. Um, what what did the Blue Fairy allow you to do that you had not done before? Do you mean as an actress or do you mean in general? I mean, whatever you whatever want that to mean. <laughs> I mean, look, certainly it gave me a visibility that I did not have prior to that. Yeah. Um, even the series that I had done previously that they just didn't hit at such a huge level as Once Upon a Time. And um, it also coincided, I think, with the rise of Twitter and social media where you could interact with fans. Mm-hmm. And so it gave me a platform at a time when that was on the rise and yeah. when it was still fun. <laughs> Remember when Twitter used to be fun? Let's pour one out for when Twitter when used Twitter to be fun fun. because now it's like a garbage fire of vitriol and unhappiness yeah almost entirely not entirely it has allowed me to connect with people that i never would have that's another thing that once upon a time gave me you know i think it gave me that blue check mark which has allowed me to you know message commander chris hadfield which i would not be able to do otherwise or do you know some people that i i'm a fan of people like i'm sorry liz fair and you can say oh my god what chocolate space egg was a seminal album for me so you got your blue check mark you're like okay i can now message all these other blue check marks i'm sorry what did what did you feel that i'm not that i went on the hunt for other you know no you got it and you message uh commander hadfield right away so i've had the i too in my travels have had the good opportunity to like have a conversation with with uh commander hadfield uh and um i i 
don't think I, I like fangirl that much anymore, but I totally did for, for him. So what is it about Commander Hadfield, you know, that made you, uh, well, we're from the same hometown for one thing. Are you really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just flew out of Commander Hadfield airport in Sarnia. Um, you're from Sarnia. Yeah. Wow. I was just back there for a visit with my girls and, uh, you know, that's always its own you know, anytime you go back to your hometown, I was like, I'm living in an indie film right now. The whole yeah. time I was there, good, bad, and ugly. There's all the pieces of it. You know, and also, aren't they doing a lot of filming up there? I don't know. I don't as well, so. I, yeah. And then like North Bay, and and like the government is putting a ton of money into small I, town filming. Yeah, well, that's interesting because I really found myself going. I would like to make a film here. Yeah, <laughs> you would have to do that much set deck. But where would I get my crew? That's where I was thinking. I was like, well, how do I get all the people here? I don't know. Ontario, do you have a grant for me? I'll come and direct something there. You can, uh, yeah. Somebody who's listening. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's somebody in the Ontario. Uh, I'm like, like, okay. Just call me when you have the money. I'll be there. <laughs> I love that idea too, that, that, you both grew up in Sarnia. I love that we're talking about, see, this is the thing with this podcast. You don't know where we're going to go, <laughs> but like you, you and Commander Hadfield uh, grew up in Sarnia, which is like, I wouldn't like no judgment, little judgment, you know, but like not necessarily the, what I, when I think of the most magical places and let you both yeah. like had your gaze kind of cast On the upwards stars and outwards. Differently, and, uh, certainly. And, and I would say that his rises vastly more meteoric than mine, but literally and figuratively, uh, but I, I mean, certainly that's a small piece of it, you know, and, and uh, of that draw. I just, in general, was so moved by his journey as a professional and to come from a small town and to rise that high. Yeah. Um, also, I just, I loved what he was doing. Like that song that he sang from the International Space Station and all the kids. So I was in the, in the audience at a you know, at, at my kid's school, when they, that was on, when everybody was singing across the country with this man who was in space, I was crying <laughs> in the, in the assembly, crying right now. you know, I yeah. almost did. I get emotional about things like that. And yeah. I, I think it's amazing when you can give back to the, and I think he's really present in the community. Yeah. Uh, I'm not just talking about the local community. I'm talking about like the community of, of people. Yeah. And um, I'm inspired by that. And I, I just love that, I was able to tell him that. Yeah, and did he tweet tweet you back? I, he, I did it in private message. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would have probably fangirled him publicly, also. Yeah. Oh, that's that's awesome. I I, I want to talk a little bit about because you talk about fandom. You mentioned the the fandom, uh, and we actually um, I'm recording another podcast today with uh, Sachin Sahel uh, from the Hundred, who has launched the. Uh, yes. He knows about fan bases and stuff, and this um, is the ship, I the ships alliance. Ships you know, alliance, that's yes. about like trying to um to uh, take away the toxicity from fandoms and stuff to get different ships like working together. But I, I'm really Which curious. Is it's so fascinating thing I have to say. Like yeah. I, somebody had to explain to me quite some time ago now, but I was like, I don't even know what a ship is. Yeah. <laughs> I had once made a joke about a blue whale, you yeah. know, because of Dr. Whale and David Anders, whom I love. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and people were like, oh my God, oh my God, do you ship it? And I was like, I don't even know what that means. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love when, when things that, that like a, a show will create something, but then they don't even know what it is that they've done and like <laughs> creating like lingo even. But like, so as part of being, you know, acting on a juggernaut, a juggernaut series like once, especially as like social media is really taking off mm -hmm. as a place where people find each other and congregate, like how did fandom and and then going to conventions and then shipping and all that like how does that affect the work when you're on a show like once and then and people are talking about it online and there might be all like these big you know and we don't have we're not going to talk specifics i'm not interested in in like mining that that kind of area but you know i know that like that was a big thing with once like a lot of activity online a lot mm -hmm. of people talking online yeah. like how does that when you are on set and you're there to do the work does that impact it at all are you thinking about fans and and that kind of reaction um i don't know i think as an actor you do what you get given right yeah. you get you get your pages and you do what's on them to the best of your ability and it doesn't, to some degree, it doesn't matter how bad they want to ship something. It yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that it will become so. And I wouldn't say for me personally that it necessarily impacts how I play something. Yeah. <clears throat> Although I think, for example, there's this whole shady blue thing. I don't know if you know about this, where um, 
because I didn't necessarily have, I, I really didn't have my own storyline. I was really more of a tool for other stories. Yeah. Oh, crap. Other storylines. Hi, that was just me. She That's literally me. just hit my tool of communication, <laughs> which is the microphone. It's fine. She's gesticulating. As I am wont to do. <laughs> me too. Um, I spilled a whole cup of coffee on my laptop once from gesticulating too wildly, which is why you'll notice I have no beverage near me at this time. Yeah, mine is far, far away. <laughs> um, the blue shady thing. So, so I was thinking to myself as I was playing her early on, like, what can I do to make this character interesting? Because, you know, as a nun, you know, I'm never going to have a love story, clearly. Yeah. Uh, what can I do? And I just thought, what if she was evil? I, that was my mm. through line that I, and it wasn't always really something I could play based on what they gave me on the page. Yeah. But I tried to have moments always where you were like, did you, what did she just, could yeah. she maybe? And, um, it was the it was sort of Twitter that caught on to that and would talk about Blue Shady and we mm. think she's the baddie and um, you know, and of course that didn't come to fruition in terms of what the writers wrote yeah. for her. But that was an instance in which they saw what I was trying to do and yeah. there was a certain element that kind of ran with it and it's a funny little joke that we often laugh at. Blue Shady, that's yeah, that's a shady good, blue. Yeah. I like blue shady because I think it's slim shady, you know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of like nineteen nineties uh callback or ice blue would have been good too. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I think that one didn't come a up. Little though. iciness. It's cause I wasn't that active on the Jeez. Twitter. Yeah. I find it like I I I I love fans. Like I am I am a fan of fans. I I love conventions and going just to like tap into the energy. I know you've done a, a few conventions. Can you tell me oh, about yes. some of the experiences? You know, like like what would somebody? Because like it's weird for me because I've gone to so many. As you can see, this office is filled with stuff uh -huh. I bought at conventions. The but like that, there are people. Yeah, there. Yeah, the, the nerd energy is very strong here. Um, but there are people who have never been to a convention and don't really know what what goes on there. So can you like talk a little bit about like what you've observed in the special energy uh -huh. that exists at conventions? You know, I kind of knew they existed from way way back before once because there was Stargate people that once in a while would be going to England. Yeah. I was like, I don't know what that is, but I want in on that. And then, of course, <laughs> uh, eventually I got a call. Yeah. My first one was to go to London, England to do the MCM Expo. And uh, I had never been before, so I had no idea what to expect. And I was like, oh my God, there's this crazy subculture yeah. that now is more prevalent because it, there was a time, like remember Galaxy Quest? Have you seen that movie? Yes, I have. Right? Where your career... If you were had a dying career, you went on the you went on circuit. the convention circuit, yeah. And um, that is not the case now. And you, we all know this very well. You know, Norman Reedus does them, and you know, Andrew Lincoln, and Jason Momoa, and, yeah, yeah, huge stars. It's now a completely different vehicle yeah. than it was even at the beginning. You know, so let's say it's what eight or nine years ago. Seven, yeah. I don't know how many years ago. 2011 would have been once upon a time started. So time moves faster when you become a parent, huh? Right? I know. I'm like, I just always link it up to what baby I had at that particular yeah. time. <laughs> because I just had a baby when I got once. Yeah. Who is about to turn uh, nine years old on next week. Um, which that is not relevant because I don't know when this airs, but anyhow. It's her birthday. It's, yeah. Well, I mean, but I think it's also interesting, like, just for me personally, because I, I have a daughter who's turning nine in November, you know, and so, like, we are kind of at the, we at were at a certain stage, stage of our yeah. of our parenting, and also, like, we were both kind of starting something new around the same yeah. kind of time, right? Indeed. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that was, like, one of my first opportunities also to travel and get away from having young children mm -hmm. and just be like, oh, my gosh, myself again. But anyhow, I show up at this convention, and, and I was like... <laughs> Blown. There was a guy dressed like Mega Man. I didn't even, I still don't know what Mega Man is, but it was this elaborate giant, like he couldn't even fit in the elevator. Yeah. His costume was so big. And I was fascinated not only by that, but also by, I, this is, I want to couch this correctly. Okay. I feel like there is a certain culture of, of people who are like sci-fi fans in particular, I think were on the forefront of the convention scene. Oh, hell yeah, we were. Yeah. And they weren't always people who fit in elsewhere. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I can tell you, <laughs> I, I'm saying so, this with love. With you're, I, and I get, no, I get it. I was very much, um, I was like a closeted, uh, Star Trek fan yeah. for many years. I was severely bullied at school. Uh, and I like, and this is way before the internet mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I was bullied for lots of reasons, but then I, I got to go to, uh, 
a Star Trek convention that Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis were doing. It was the Mzadi one uh, at a, an airport hotel in Toronto. And it was like, I, I walked in there and I found, I felt like found I found people. my people, yes. you know, because in every other context, like I felt, I didn't feel that I could speak about mm-hmm. my passion, something that I totally loved. I was shipping them before shipping was a term, <laughs> you know? So yeah, no, I totally... I get it and, and I, I receive with love. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I was like, here's a place where people who don't necessarily fit in with all the other crowds yeah. have found their crowd. And there was a kind of a joy that I got from being a part of that. Yeah. That when people walked up to my table, they were really happy to see me yeah. because of something that I was privileged to do. I had wanted to be an actor my whole life. And people yeah. were always like, you can't do that. And whatever. The, you know, that's its own whole other story. Yeah. It's own whole other Totally. I don't know other. if I can fix that in post. I just, I think it's <laughs> own whole other story. I've still only had one copy. Wait, wait, wait. Own whole other. Own whole, whole other. other. Own story. Wow. It's its own story. Yeah. <laughs> just put it that way. <laughs> uh, so anyhow, that was, I just, that was great. And yeah. I, I think it was a great way that you can connect with fans. I think it's, um, And it's funny because I had an experience on the other side of it because I've only ever been on the tip, my like behind the table. And then Nigella was here in town with her new cookbook a couple of years ago. I love your like first name basis. Nigella. Nigella (laughs) We're not on the table. She came to town. I was like, I'm going to go to that. And I I waited in line with 75 people and got up to the front. I was like, what am I going to say? Because I'm a huge foodie and yeah. I'm a real food fan, and I love loved her show since her very first one. She and gives so much love into her into her work, and she's just yeah. so sexy and gorgeous yeah. and articulate, and there's just everything about her is sensual. Yeah, and, um, and uh, you know, I got to the front, and I was like, you know, the woman before me was like, and I was like, so the last time she looked up at me, she was like, "Hi, nice to meet you," and she signed it, and I left, and then as I walked away, I was like, "Oh, but I wanted to say that I didn't do the." Oh, that's how they feel. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I had my own experience. I was like, okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that. And just so, do, have you made anything from the from the book at all? Was it a was it a cookbook or was it a memoir? Oh her, no, no, it was her yeah. two cookbooks ago. I'm sure I probably yeah. did. I can't remember now. Yeah. Oh, I love I love thinking about uh, you're like walking away with skin. that. Like, yeah. yeah, there's the chicken skin in hers. That was the one. And they went around with some of the food. And that was the one that sticks out in my mind. The, the just fried chicken skin. geniusness, yeah. Like little chips of chicken skin. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Like like a chicharron. Kind of, yeah, yeah, essentially. Yeah. And what everybody used to sort of throw away. And now it's like this shishi thing they do in all the fancy little bistros, you know. Yeah, I love that. I love that because like anything fried, like I'm, I can't eat it all the time. But like if you, if I could and not feel ill after, like that's what I would just eat everything fried. Yeah, (laughs) mozzarella sticks, deep fried dill pickles, and just chicharron. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. like jalapeno poppers. Okay, we're gonna have to go eat after this. Mm So lot. I've interviewed you a few times over the years and it's always like we're picking up the conversation like at a, at a different point. But so when I spoke with you last year um, and I'm going to read this uh, doing my best Keegan Connor Tracy impression, oh, but you told me that you were motivated to direct because <clears throat> the f- I can't do it. <laughs> the fact that I've had a 20 year career and more than 80 credits and I've worked with seven female directors, seven, that's an appalling number. We've hit a tipping point, and I want to be on the edge of that tipping point that sends it over to the next side. Seven directors. Seven directors. Um, That's insane. And some of them I'd worked with, like Ann Wheeler, I had worked with twice. and um, I mean, that's a good one to work with. Yeah. Bad. And I think my first one was Joanna Kearns, which was so long ago. It was on Beggars and Choosers, but it, it was at a time when her career was really hot, and I think for her to come on the show, she said, I want to direct. Yeah. But I think back now, like she was... That was at a time when I first started and Beggars and Choosers was my first, like I, right out of the gate almost, I got that show. So yeah. was, there was no men, women on set except yeah. for hair, makeup and wardrobe. There was no women gaffers or grips or camera crews. Yeah. Certainly not a DP. Yeah. There is one that I came across maybe 10 years into my career and I still remember being like, what? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, and, and perhaps my number is incorrect, but regardless, it was hovering around 10%. Yeah. And, um, clearly that's changed and I, and I still stand by what I said there. Yeah. Uh, that's where I want to be a part of changing the voice. Like, look in the midst of this me too stuff, which I don't know how deep I want to go into, but yeah. I went to our union meeting mm-hmm. 
And I thought it was going to be a lot about like smarmy producers and whatever. And it, it took a very different turn. And there were so many women that were saying, and I was doing this rape scene and they left me naked strapped to a pole and I was doing a rape scene and I was this and I was naked having to do. And I was like, I got up and I said, look, I'm not, this is not um, directing it as though like it's our own fault. But what I was saying is look at how we've allowed ourselves to be portrayed. Mm -hmm. And now if we start taking control of the narrative as filmmakers and directors, and we don't let that happen anymore, no woman is going to be standing there strapped to a pole naked while everybody goes to lunch and forgets about her. Yeah. Um, yeah. We need, we need, it's, I mean, that's part of the whole big wide, di like representation and diversity discussion, right? Like we need to, a seat at the table at every level mm -hmm. of production. We, yeah. It starts in the writer's room and, and then in casting. The stories that we're telling. Absolutely. And further to that though, it what, what we're seeing is that the way Me Too had a lot to do with the way that men treated women. Mm. And I was trying to say, look what we've shown them they can treat us like. Yeah. So as we change the narrative, then we teach boys and young men that that's not how women are to be treated yeah because we've given you a different side of that story you know like this is a gross simplification of what i'm talking about but i just think that in part having women who have been the keepers of stories whispering in children's ears mm. since the beginning of time that somehow we were sort of locked out of the most visible forms of storytelling is kind of a crazy thing yeah um and i think to be a part of now saying, but this is how I want to tell a story. Yeah. It, it changes the narrative completely across the board. Yeah. And also, I think it also changes how sets work is another thing that I've noticed. Yeah. So tell me about that, because I know that you have worked on, um, I mean, even since me too, I mean, you've worked on a show that has, a, you know, a woman at the head of it. And mm -hmm. the, I'm, I mean, I, I know that um, Shannon Coley has directed for Magicians. I just and, shot over her you know, episode of Magicians. Actually. Yes. Yeah. I, I love Shannon. She's so wonderful. Yeah. What a great yeah. person to learn and, from. And, and somebody who, you know, went into her, her initial field, which was, you know, like a, the, the DP side. Mm -hmm you know, being really uh, one of the first, you yes. know, to, to, you to do that. You should be interviewing yeah. her about some of the things that people told her she couldn't oh. do because she was a woman. I'm on the, Not I'm, she is on the list. I've written, actually, she was in the same uh, graduating class from UBC film as my, as my husband. So I've been following her career right. literally from the very beginning. Well, look up. Yeah. That's where it's, it's, it's heading amazingly. Back to back yeah. So talk to me about some of the, you know, the, 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 paradigm shifts maybe that you're seeing happening or if there is a paradigm shift since since me too broke and you know and and you know first there was the reckoning for like really the important people and then mm -hmm. it's like the kind of more nuanced yes, changes and things so work. what what are you what are you what have you seen what are you seeing um and and you know i don't want to entirely couch it in terms of me too it was just sort of like the segue into this it's a good like it, it, I look at it as a watershed moment, right? Like, you know, there, there's before and then there's after. Yes. Shitty behaviors continuing for sure. But yeah. it's, I, I've like just even noticed in myself as some, like I realize my own complicity Absolutely. in it, you know, and yeah. which I think is the kind of the, an extension of the nuanced discussion we were just having, mm -hmm. you know, but I feel complicity in how I used to feel, um, walking outside after dark like like my complicity in rape culture is that i would accept it as normal that i should feel scared i like yeah oh yeah and but like, and i didn't call out stuff you know before but now i'm i call out stuff i recognize stuff i call other people out so it's like it's 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 been like a slow like marathon or like a slow it's got like glacier pace marathon it feels at some at some right point now. but like where i definitely feel that we are in a period of change oh, you goodness, know and i'm yeah. i'm so interested in hearing though about how that's extended into especially because it was the entertainment industry where a lot of this discussion really started Broke so yes. yeah so what are you what are you seeing you know I, I, there's i think the changes coming across the board yeah and to some degree like when i came in here i said i don't know maybe can we talk about woke culture because to some degree the change has been like this pendulum swing that's almost like a bull in a china shop perhaps mm. you know it is not always nuanced yeah um but what i see positively and i guess that i want to speak to in this context of moving into directing yeah it's just that i think that the feel on the set 
has the potential to be different. I'm not saying every female director will be different from a male director. And, and there's no necessarily a, an implication that, oh, male directors don't do it nicely or something. I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to misspeak here. But for example, I just worked with a female director on Magicians recently, of which again, they have been so supportive of female directors and yeah. so supportive of me. I cannot say enough about that show. I feel emotional when I go to talk about it because they have been helping to lift me up in this transition that yeah. is not nearly as easy as I was hoping it might be yeah. for me, despite my many years of experience. Um, but anyhow, working with a female director and beforehand, I got this email, like I didn't even know she was doing the next episode. And she just said, hey, I wanted to give you my cell phone number and let you know if you have any questions. Um, here I am. You know, and I only have one scene, I think, in that yeah. episode. And I just thought, that's never happened to me my whole career. Yeah. This is kind of one of those changes that, that women bring. The energy that she brought onto set was very, uh, I don't know, it was just welcoming. It was um, open-hearted, mm. I, I would say. And um, and yet she still was, uh, you know, experienced. She lived through her day, but she did it with kindness and a certain, I don't know, just a female like a yin energy that yeah. i appreciated as a woman that i have not had the pleasure of experiencing for the most part over 20 years directors yeah. were always men yeah and i think it's one of the reasons why it didn't occur it's not that it didn't occur to me to be a director it actually did probably 10 years ago yeah but i think you know the gina davis institute for gender studies mm -hmm. in the media mm -hmm, they say if she can if she can see it she can be it mm -hmm. and i feel like i'm pointing to that i'm saying well i never saw it so i didn't really think i could be it yeah um and uh, I, I just, I think that that's part of this shift is now I can see it, now I can be it. Yeah, so I didn't want to be a producer. That's a big part of like, it just was not my interest. I didn't yeah. want to have to raise money. Look, I'm smack in the middle of it right now, trying to raise money to make another film. It's just yeah. how it goes because I have to be able to demonstrate that I can be a director. Great. That's what I'm doing. But at least now there are programs. There's a, like a real embracing of the fact that women are absolutely as capable as men. Yeah. And perhaps in some ways, maybe have the capability to be even better storytellers yeah. just because our approach is different. Um, I find, and, and I don't want to blanket. I was about to say, I, I find women more uh, story uh, directed directors and that's yeah. not even true there are yeah. going to be some who will be and some who won't there'll be some men you know and I, so i don't want to blanket it with anything yeah. i i'm just happy that the opportunity is there for me right now and uh even if i'm sort of catching the tail end of it i am grabbing on with both hands and i'm i'm here for the ride i don't know is it the tail end of it or it's like the end of the beginning in a lot of ways right like it's the yeah i don't say that's an accurate uh clarification yeah because yeah. there but there is still work to be done so i want to talk about then let's talk about la fille and uh do you like how i'm saying it yeah can I you tell you. i was just in paris moi je n'ai pas pas beaucoup de français seulement un peu mais i can say la fille um, very well <laughs> oh merci why was this the story i almost changed it because i thought nobody i'm like nobody's gonna be able to, even in canada people were like la fille no like, yes oh so oh, I, canada I, do better i know that's French, come on, French immersion. Let's pick yeah. up the pace on yeah. that. Why is there a waiting list when just anyhow? That's yeah. a whole other subject. Uh, um, let's talk about Lafitte. Yeah, you I, well, I want to know. I mean, so directorial debut, <laughs> that's a big deal, right? Like your film that you, you have as your debut will always be known as your directorial debut. Suppose, yeah. So why was this particular story? Like, why did this one <laughs> sing to you? You know, it's so hilarious. Chanson de Lafitte. Pourquoi il m'a parlé? Um, here's the funny thing. So when I decided I was, I was like, okay, I'm going to make this transition for all kinds of reasons. Um, I just called everybody I knew. And one of the people I called was Sarah Gamble. I call her the great mm -hmm. and powerful Sarah Gamble, um, who we, you know, supernatural fans will know from way back there, but yeah. also clearly as the showrunner of magicians yeah. and you, and just like this wildly successful paragon of where, many women, including myself, would like to be. I'm like, I want to be that. You want to be you the know? great and powerful oh, King, King Connor Tracy. Tracy. That would be yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> That's blue shady right there. Right? I'm um, So I called Sarah and I was like, what do I do? You know, I called everybody. Yeah. Uh, but I remember Sarah saying, you know what? Just go, just go make a movie. Just, it doesn't, shoot it on your iPhone if you have to, but show us that you can do this. Just and I was go like, make a movie. Yeah. yeah. And so I was like, okay, well, okay, how am I going to do that? And, you know, you don't want to bankrupt yourself to make this short film. Yeah. So I was super, super sick and I'm lying in bed and I, can't, I literally can't even move. My neck is paralyzed and I'm so, I'm oh, just, God. it was just one of those, right? And I, so I was, all I could do was think. I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't read. I couldn't do anything. 
And I was like, well, what's an idea for this movie that I have to make? What can I do that I can do without having to call in any favors? Yeah. I thought, what do I have? Okay. I got a kid. I got a park. Here's an idea. Okay, great. She goes through the thing. She ends up in France. That's, I don't know that's where it came. And I was trying to make a little film. I was like, okay, it's going to be $1,000. I'm going to shoot it on my iPhone. Then I'm just going to bring it to her and go, here you go. And then I, you know, I started to just call a couple people and I called a friend in locations to say, do you think the foliage will be in by this date? Yeah. I needed the park to be filled in. And he said, who's your DP? And I said, uh, well, I, this is Alan Bartolik, who is uh, locations of The Flash. Yeah. He was instrumental in the success of my film, so I want to give him a shout out. Uh, he said, who's your DP? I said, well, I, I don't even have one yet. Hold on. I'll call you back. Calls me back five minutes later. He's like, okay, I got Stuart Whelan. I'm like, what? Oh, okay. <laughs> and then once Stuart was on board, it just grew. And then he was like, you know, we went on location scout. He was like, here's where we'll put the crane. I was like, though, I'm sorry, the what? <laughs> the, the crane? You're counting like, out your thousand bucks. <laughs> I was like, he goes, no, no, I got this. I got this because he was able to get our equipment, right. which was, you know, for free. I use, I'm quoting free right now because free, when it's a $3.5 million 50 foot techno crane, <laughs> means that you need a lot of insurance. Yeah. <laughs> so free is not free, just for those of you thinking about making a little indie film. Yeah. Insurance is like a major cost. And then as my crew went up, then I needed to feed them. And then all of a sudden I, I had this amazing mansion location um, that was my France location. And yeah. uh, a really kind friend opened his beautiful, incredible mansion home to me to film my yeah. little film. So it, it, it isn't actually the, that, the, that that movie was like, this is the story I have to tell. It actually started as this teeny little movie. And by the time it got as big as it did, yeah. it was so far down the road. I was like, well, let's just roll with it then. Yeah. Had I known that so many people that when I picked up the phone to say, hey, would you help me out? That before my sentence was done would say yes hmm. it, i would have probably actually made a different perhaps more narrative film yeah um but this is exactly what you said that's the one and i'm yeah. really proud of it i think it's a beautiful lush sweet short film yeah um, and it just taught me not only that you could do it i, I was like oh I, i'm good at this i can do this yeah. and, and the producing yeah, you side can. too yeah uh it, it also just showed me that there are people out there who are entirely willing to support this journey for me yeah. and other women like me. You just have to have the confidence and the faith in yourself to just ask for mm -hmm. help and to ask that question, yeah. right? Ooh, and, there's a lesson in that there. Yeah. And I was going to say the balls, which is funny because, and I love that all magicians, how they're always like, um, what do they call it? I think they say pussy up or something like when they're trying to say, Wait, what? instead of, you know how they would say man up before? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, magicians has flipped that script and very, very often says things like that. You know, yeah. Instead of, saying, you know, instead of having the balls, I think they say, I can't even remember what they say. Somebody, one of you internet people. Yeah. Yeah. Right. To tell me, remind me of what it is that they say. Yeah. Unless you but have the some gumption to go yeah, out and gumption. Say, hey. There you go, because they might have just sent you a bunch of words that you might have blocked on your like a blog <laughs> phrase. Because I don't know if can I get all that? of those. I need to do that. You can. Oh no, Keegan, you can block all sorts of words. You don't have to let people call you names on the internet and oh, let them read you know, it. I've been really. Yeah. I'm like knocking on wood. I have been really spared that. Yeah. I, I don't really know why, and I'm tremendously grateful for it. So moving forward then, like what, what kind of stories do you want to, because you mentioned that you are, uh, she's currently looking for funding for That's her next true. film. I just applied for the MMPIA grant yeah. the, uh, to make a short film, which is uh, what I chose to do was um, take the first 10 minutes of a pilot that I've written for a yeah. series that I've been developing, which again came out of that conversation with Sarah and the knowledge that Netflix was coming up and that there's money, whether or not that actually is true. It, it, it was a call to action for me that said, I'm going to be in line if there is money. Yeah. Uh, and if they are looking for things, I'm going to be standing there with content. And yeah. um, so I've taken the first 10 minutes of that pilot to apply for that grant. Fantastic. And also I'm applying to Crazy Eights this next round. Yes. Uh, yeah. And awesome. And a completely different film. Yeah. Um, that is, you know, um, a story that I think a lot of women know. It's, you know, it's very much... Uh, it's a young girl that is date raped at a party mm. and her experience of those hours after that, that yeah. are really quite banal, but what that's like for a young person to go through such a monumental thing yeah. um, and, and how normal the days after it can be when you have this secret that you want to tell and you can't. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's a story that is a certain um, catharsis 
for me, you know, yeah. like, I think myself and very, very many women have a story similar to it. And I realized that though I could never do anything about it, I can make art out of it that speaks to, uh, this is my pitch for it. You know, yeah. it speaks to a young girl that watches it and goes, that's what happened to me. Yeah. Or a parent that says, oh my God, I wasn't listening. I missed it. Yeah. Or a doctor that, that missed when the girl went in and was crying and they couldn't, they were like, why are you crying? Yeah. Look deeper oh, yeah. at these things. Or, yeah, or even um, the, the, the date the partner, the mm-hmm. boyfriend, yes. the, you know, like, Did because I, I do that, you know, yeah, yeah. like, and, and because I, I feel like a lot of these, like it's, it, it, a lot of it is about, um, perception and uh, lack of communication. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, yeah, art is a wonderful way to start to get people thinking, mm-hmm. you know, and I, it's really interesting, like looking back at when you, when we would see sexual violence, sexual assault, sexual harassment portrayed on screen, it's, it was for, for decades, it was a very specific type of, you know, it was always, and not that yes. these don't happen, but it was like, you know, the, the alley and the, the stranger bushes. and like, you know, where in fact the statistics suggest that it is usually, it's somebody that you know, know yeah. you know, and um, and I I often wonder that like how many of these kind of situations where the person who is doing the the who's who's violating the other person if they even know what they're doing, mm-hmm. you know, like if they it's and a very gray, it's space. it can it can be so gray, you yeah. know, and so I'm I'm a fan as hard and traumatizing as it is to talk about the stuff, re-traumatizing. I I, I really believe in there's only stuff to be gained from pulling that stuff out of the darkness, mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. and, and laying it bare in that kind of, in that kind of way. So, wow. Well, keep me, keep us posted. Okay. Well, um, and Pia, uh, there's some great films that came out of that. Maya Aro, uh, yes. was an Maya. MPA film. Yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> I call yeah, everybody. Maya Aro will be sitting in that seat very soon. Uh, and, um, yeah, she, with her she, baby bump. Yeah. With her. Yes, definitely. <laughs> with her baby bump. Oh, Maya's an amazing, she's a, a stunt stun artist, stunt coordinator and, uh, is, is, uh, currently pregnant right now and yeah. still wearing green screen suits and I doing all that, that kind of stuff so she cute. is just a yeah. i mean this city has so she's a force many and but, supportive too yeah. you know this is another not to interrupt you i'm sorry no but it totally did yeah <laughs> but you know when i would post something about being you know directing and this is my director hat or something and you know maya would be the first one to chime up and say directing looks good on you and i love that there's not a fearfulness with this upcoming crop of director yeah. women that I I have, you know, because I grew up in the in the day and age where it was crabs in the bucket with girls. Mm. And I know that still exists yeah. and will probably always, but where you couldn't be proud of yourself, you couldn't support somebody else. Everybody was like against each other. Yeah. And now there's this sense of like squad for lack of a better way to say it. But I just, when I call a woman to ask about advice for something, how did you do this? They have been tremendously supportive yeah. with their time and their expertise and their, just their, even just their support and saying, look, this is hard, Yeah, but I believe you can do this. And uh, that community has been tremendous. And, and Maya's part of that community. Yeah. I, 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 for one, love the word squad. And, uh, I, I imagine it's like BC film, you know, um, women's squad. Like it's yeah. just, it's such a powerful force. And like, I think for so long, everybody's been separate and, you know, and competitive or assuming that they know what's going on in somebody else's mind, you know, but then when you like, you open yourselves up to somebody else and you mm-hmm. can like, I worry sometimes that it seems sort of juvenile, you know, and you feel like that's Taylor Swift's little entourage. Oh, I see what you're saying. Thing. We're it's, elevating squad here. Yes. Okay. Our squad goals are, are elevated here in the YVR screen scene studio. We're going to take a break. Because we need to, and I need to rest my voice for a minute. But when we come back, we're going to talk about yet another aspect of the the multitudes of Keegan Connor Tracy. And also remember uh, one of your co-stars who recently passed away, Cameron Boyce. So let's take a break. This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North, before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. 
We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com. So we're going to bring it down a little, a little bit because this is, this is life. And I, let's talk about Cameron Boyce, mm-hmm. uh, 20 years old, passed away just a, a few months ago. A huge. I mean, just from judging from just online, never met him, but you can, you can see that the, the love that, that he inspired and the legacy of the work. So, so what would you, how will you remember Cameron? Oh my gosh. Just, um, the loveliest I want to call him a boy, even though he wasn't a boy, he was a young man. But yeah. for us on this, like when I say us, I mostly talk about Dan Payne, who played Beast, and also Melanie Paxson. We were sort of like the grown-ups of that cast, right? Yeah. So we would call them the kids. Oh, the kids are doing this. Not in a demeaning fashion, but it's like there was a certain demarcation between us. Yeah. And, and Cameron was just a light. You know, I, I don't, I think that is just the simplest way to describe him from the start, and, you know, because he was only, I think, 14 when we started doing those movies. Yeah. So he was like a baby mm. and he was so cute and just that smile. And he had this infectious energy and never a sharp word and always just, he danced through everything he did. Yeah. And he was kind and generous with his time and you know in this last movie there's um which we never really ended up dancing in the finale uh, even though we had spent quite a bit of time rehearsing it and everything it just ended up being that we were up on top on that whatever it was the ds up top yeah. and also i had this impossible dress there was no way i could do hip-hop look i'm challenged to do hip-hop at the best of times <laughs> let alone in this giant weird most uncomfortable thing i've ever worn yeah ball gown. that's stunning um, <laughs> the things we do for beauty oh my goodness <laughs> honestly there were days when i thought i would go crazy wearing that thing it was like it had uh, you know those old torture devices that had like nails pointing inwards whatever that thing was that's yeah what that dress was like oh no um, it's but, not supposed to hurt it's not, it's not. Yeah. um but there was this move in that break it down break it down where Cameron did this little thing with his head that I tried so hard to copy and he would stand beside me and work on this routine with me with the you know the patience of a of a, of a kid who could do it without thinking like he could yeah. do it in his sleep this move and I was like ah, you know trying <laughs> to make my way through this move yeah and he was just sweet like that and that smile that's the thing that I think of I can see it as clear as day in my head right now. Yeah. And he was kind to my children. Yeah. And really like embraced their position in that, you know, I posted something about it on my Instagram in the days after, because I was really, I think as a mother trying to come to terms with that too, with the fact that, you know, I spent a lot of time with his dad on set because Victor was there all the time. Yeah. Just like a wonderful, close family. And, um, to think that you could have a child with this tremendous amount of talent and all the success you could ever wish for your child and you would think i did it he's there he's good he's not in trouble he's a good kid he's met the president you know whatever and that they could be gone was shattering for me yeah um not to draw that back to me but to to say that it affected me as a mother in particular i think i reached out to victor in the hours after i'd heard just to to say that's how I think of you right now. I just I don't care about who he was as a star, as a movie, any of that. Yeah. I just think you you lost your child and it's unfathomable. I think we think that they're invincible when they're doing well. Yeah. And it was really uh very sobering. And yeah. then to lose Gabe, who's not, not uh, yeah. and again, like Gabe and I were it's not that we were close. I would say I'd spent vastly more time with, with Cameron. Gabe Coos Gabe Coos uh, from Once, once Upon, a, upon time. a Time, yeah. But to have those two in such short time between them was um what was the word I kept using and now I can't even think of it it was disorienting for me it made mm. me feel really vulnerable yeah you know death can be this thing that seems far away yeah especially when you're working in shows you know like, what's been a time Maybe. everybody comes back I came back from the dead like four times on that show yeah um where you know in Ordon it's true love and you know and then all of a sudden you're smacked in the face with real life and that it is very very vulnerable you you know this very well yeah um and I I felt like it taught me to look at my children differently when I got up in the morning yeah I'm so glad you're still here yeah you know 
Yeah, that's something we have to make peace with, I guess, as we move through our lives, right? Because I know that for myself, I when I've had that kind of, I mean, I love the word disorienting because it's really, it's, it's, it's so spot on, you know, that feeling of standing in the, in the waves and it's, you're trying to keep your footing and you're being knocked down, you know, and like, it could go a couple of ways with it, right? Like it could make you really scared, you know, to, to go and live your life fully, you know, or you can keep going and, and just appreciate, you know, I mean, I just went through a hell of a, of a summer as a lot of people follow me on social media. You know, my husband was in the hospital uh, with a renal failure and uh, it's weirdly become this really life affirming thing. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like nothing will teach you about life quite like death? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's, but it's like a journey that we have to go on to, to have a good headspace mm-hmm. about it too. Um, how, how are, how are the kids doing? The, 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 when I say the kids, I mean the, the quotation really marks. Yeah. You know, I think anybody who loses, especially when you're young, like I, I remember a kid in high school died of cancer. Um, and that was like my first experience of that with somebody that I knew, you know, yeah. and, and I think it's, it deeply affects you. We weren't super close. We were friends. Yeah. Um, but I think these kids were all really close. And I think, um, you know, how does anybody deal with losing somebody that's, that important to you that's such an integral part of their formative years all of them were you know quite young from the time they started this Brenna was I think 16 or 13 I think Brenna was only 13 when she started yeah um you know these are that's their high school to some degree and I think they're all dealing with it how as best they can I think wielding peace and uh the Cameron Boyce Foundation have become really like sort of touchstone places Mm. for them to go that's good that's good to hear and we'll include uh whatever relevant links to, mm-hmm. to all the different, uh, fundraising, uh, I guess, look, funds. Initiatives, yeah. I initiatives. Guess, yeah. yeah. Like his uh, foundation is what a brilliant yeah. way to deal with the grief, um, that they had as a family, I think to, to, to get right back up and put that out there. I thought was marvelous and brave and entirely what Cameron would have wanted. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Well, so we'll have those on the episode page and the footnotes on the episode page on our website. Um, I do. We, I, we need to talk about your book uh, because like it's so it's almost funny that we're kind of treating it like I said, footnote, like a footnote. But it's just there's so much to talk about with you, with you, Keegan. And like so in the midst of, you know, in the midst of, you know, directing and, and acting and every and just like life, you found the time to uh, write a book for children. <laughs> this is a job for mommy. So tell me about the light bulb moment or, or like what light bulb moments or series of light bulb moments like led you to write this book. You know, it's a funny thing because it's, if I remember correctly, I wrote that book before I even had children it, and it was that I was, Whoa. yeah, I remember it being in kind of in the wake of my grandfather's death, but you know, things get kind of cloudy in time. Yeah. Um, and it was just something that I, I had, I was sitting on. I had that and a couple other kids books that I had written and, you know, I'm always, ever since I was a kid, I was writing. So I've got this. I don't know, just stacks full of things. And I had actually gone into pitch. You know, I, it came about because I was thinking of all the different lives I'd led. You yeah. know, I have been a doctor and a prostitute and a lawyer and a whatever the things are. Um, on television. On, on television. Yes. <laughs> I have most definitely not been a prostitute. Although there are days as an actress when you think, I just got paid to do yeah. that. That, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a fine line some yeah. days, I think, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, um, and I had actually gone to a pub, the, I was, it was published by a different publisher than I originally started with. And I, but I had gone in to pitch actually a cookbook, um, hmm. the Kegelicious cookbook is this thing that I still am sitting on. And I still, I don't know, I feel like there's kind of a glut of quote unquote celebrity, not that I'm necessarily claiming to be one, but celebrity cookbooks. As yeah. it were. And so I, I love it. I so that I, explains your Twitter handle then. That's, uh, yeah. That was, so I don't even remember how that came about. That just has been it predates kind of everything. And, yeah. And, and then I, sometimes I feel too old for it, you know, but it's there and it exists and, and it's so yours. It's mine. Embrace it. And I yes. was, I was going to go with the fiery one because um, that's what Keegan means, the little fiery one. And it was already taken. I couldn't get the website or anything. It was gone. So I was just stuck with Keegalicious. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, that's how, that's really how it came about. And I was just in the middle of pitching that and saying, Oh, and I have this and I have that, you know, off the cuff. Yeah. And I'm like that one, send us that one. Um, and it, it became, uh, this is a job for mommy. Yeah. And, um, what is a job for mommy? <laughs> what is it? What isn't a <laughs> That's job for it. Mommy? Yeah. Really? And I, I think women are always juggling a lot. It, times are changing. Men are taking on bigger roles. I, I'm not 
just trying to say that women are the only ones taking care of children. Yeah. But it, we have done the lion's share for a very long time and continue to. If you listen, there was a story on CBC not that long ago saying that women are still doing something like, you know, 25 or 40 percent more of the work at home, even as they are working full time, yeah. the same as their husbands. It's just that a lot of that falls to us and we wear a lot of hats. Yeah. And, and I, emotional labor. Yes, I still think right? I do so much more emotional labor in my household than anybody else. Yes, so even if I'm not doing the thing, if I have to say that I, hey, go do the thing, that's still me being part of the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's exhausting. And those things are exhausting. It is really, it's very yeah. true, especially when they're little, you know? Oh, yeah. I think anybody who's a mom can attest to this notion. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. It just sort of came out of that and came out of trying to say that not only to say, yes, women, again, you know, if you can see it, you can be it. Yeah. Uh, just try, I tried to show sort of uncommon jobs, uh, things that were not the norm, the things that women had always done, you know, yeah. and for nurse or something like instead my end was neurologist, which I have to tell you in terms of rhyme scheme was maybe my worst choice ever. <laughs> and certainly after the book was published. It was challenging. It was very challenging. Yes. Uh, after the book was published, I was like, why didn't I make P pilot? Why wasn't Jay judge? You know, like maybe there needs to be a volume two of mommy's other 26 careers or something like yeah. this. More jobs for mommy yeah. or something. <laughs> we can and do do it all. Yeah. What is success to you now, Keegan? Like, what does it mean to yeah. be successful? And like, how has your idea of success changed since you, the very beginnings of your career? That's a really interesting, evocative, potentially terrifying, but also really like peaceful um, question to answer because I think when I was younger and and I'm not saying I don't still suffer from this sense of like FOMO or you know career FOMO like oh I'm supposed to have more I was supposed to do more I was supposed to be more yeah Um, I I certainly then should not have picked such a a, an arbitrary field of work Mm. I think there's it's not necessarily a meritocracy sometimes that's in your favor and sometimes it's not whatever it is um but you know there was like i want to be this and i probably will never be that thing that i set out to be you know like i thought i wanted to be a huge star and whatever it is um which i don't know how well i would have done with now that i'm older and i look at it and i know my personality type i think for me now yeah i'm trying to do this other career path and i i'd like to be a successful person as one would say on paper you know and to have the things that that entails be they accolades and monetary whichever they are but i think what i have learned the most since the grief of these last couple of years i've been through some really really difficult things Mm. um and i think that i started doing mindfulness meditation it is like life changing to just be present in the moment and know that there's like this thing beeping outside that maybe I would never have noticed before, or I would have just been irritated by it. And now I'm, I've learned to sit in a moment and hear what's going on and be like, I'm alive right now. And you don't know if you will be tomorrow or the next day. And so I think success for me to some degree is uh, my ability to be present and calmer in my life than I have been previously. Yes. And I mean that honestly, like I'm not trying to be trite and give you a soundbite. I really, I still want a lot of career success that may or may not elude me. But I think that being a happier person is a much more integral part of that equation than it otherwise. Oh, and I appreciate you sharing that. Like I love asking that question because I think it's really, I think it's important, especially for people who are just entering this, this business Mm -hmm. to understand that their idea of success is probably going to change and it's okay that it that it does uh and um and that success looks like so many different kinds of of things and i know that i'm at a point where like true like contentment and peace like maybe not happiness because i don't know if i'm gonna be happy all the time but like if i at least can like have a good foundation of just being okay with who i am and where i am that i can like weather all of, you know, all of it. Yeah. And I've, uh, I've been doing the waking up course. I hope that's a shout out to Sam Harris. And I, some of his work has really, in some ways it has like broken me a little, mm-hmm. the whole consciousness and the sense that, that there is no self and all of that is hard for me to comprehend both intellectually and spiritually. Yeah. But the other side of it that I do take a lot from this mindfulness, um, the way that I have learned to be present in the moment, how he'll, he'll say, you know, if you are examining 
uh, feeling, be it joy or grief, when you are mindful in it and you're really paying attention to it from a consciousness perspective, he talks about the half-life of any emotion being actually quite short, mm. either joy or, you know, the, the other end of the spectrum. And I think that that's been really illuminating for me, that joy can be fleeting. And, and we're always in this kind of pursuit of that, right? Yeah. Especially now we're in this, like, I need it. Everything has to be giant and fabulous and Instagram worthy or yeah. whatever. Um, but even those are, are short-lived, but so too are these moments when you feel like you can't get through it. If you're mindful and you're present, then you realize that, yes, you can. In half an hour, you probably won't even feel sad if, you, if you've come around to something yeah. present. The bluest sky today or the sound of a bird in a tree that you didn't pay attention to before, yeah. that that can like ground you and then sort of shuffle off some of that yeah. angst that sits on your heart. If you're like me, that you know, I hold so much tension in my shoulders and in my chest and uh, anxiety from like, oh my gosh, I have all this stuff I'm trying to do, yeah. that, that it has really just helped me center that. Wow. Wow. When you sat down, I didn't know where we were going to be going. I told you that this is what these conversations often look like, and I am so happy because you delivered. <laughs> Thank you for, for bringing us a very magical podcast today. Where can our fans find you, Keegan, on the social media? Oh, you can, you know, occasionally I show up on Twitter. I largely, you know, <laughs> I just visit once in a while. Yeah. Uh, but that's Kegalicious is uh, that there and also on Instagram. I like Instagram. It's prettier and gentler. Yeah. And um, I am technically on Facebook. Keegan Connor Tracy, look for the blue check mark because that's how you know that it's actually mine. Yeah. Uh, although I, I admit to not being a Facebooker. Yeah. Is that a verb? Is that a thing? Is that a noun? A Facebooker? That would be a noun. Facebooking. I'm going to, yeah, let's, I mean, it, let's just make it some neologism. It's just like with, with shipping. To ship, I'm a shipper, yes. you ship that. And yes. it's like, it's, it's whatever. Yeah. Language is, is fluid and changeable. I'm so. just waiting for whatever the next one is. And I think if you look at whatever the 12 year olds are doing. TikTok. TikTok. I know. That's not the next, that can't be the next thing, is it? Really? Yes. I feel like I'm too old for TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> that's a whole other episode. Ageist. Ageism. Yeah. Ageism is alive yeah. and well. That'll be ageism and ageism that's directed inward is the worst. But we're, we're not going to do it today. <laughs> well, you come back. All right. To you, our fans, thank you for joining us. Like and subscribe. Leave us a review. You can find us at www.yvrscreenscene.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVR Screen Scene. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by myself, Sabrina Furminger. And it's produced and edited by Simon Furminger. And special thanks to Tyson Braddock and Paul Furminger, their family business, for technical support. And to Dane Develay for the original music. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! <laughs>